and then uh, Tim and Nancy Chowie's grandchildren are here today, and um, I asked them to draw a picture of me, and I told them to be nice, make sure that I'm a lot skinnier than I look, and, uh, and so he came with this. I'm going on a diet right away, I promise. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, huh? Does he know Jesus? Probably. He speaks the truth in love. Does he? Tim and Nancy have a lot of grandparenting to do here in this. Uh, we're in Revelation chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 12 to 17. There was a, a phrase in my family that we would use in New York City um, that uh, maybe some of you can pick up what it is. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you got it. I know you've been on the East Coast. And so we would walk around and we'd ask, you know, how are you going to do that? And so, you know, our family, we, you talk to my brother, he goes, you know, and we know what that means. I mean, New Yorkers know how to talk to each other and and uh, all that, that little phrase, don't worry about it. Now, you guys say all the letters and all, but in New York, everything's always abbreviated. Everything is just, don't worry about And I don't know if you know this. I, I learned this just reading this recently about a, a story about Pearl Harbor and what happened just before the strikes. Uh, I don't know if you, you knew this, but um, 353 Japanese airplanes came. I mean, that's the historical and... But 50 minutes before that, there were two soldiers that saw on their radar lights coming up, beep, 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 that there's planes coming. And they sent out and said, you know what, there's planes coming. And the lieutenant, the young lieutenant at that time, only one that was working, said, don't worry about it. Maybe they're planes from California. Maybe something else is it. And... In that 50 minutes, they said that America could have been ready for what came, but they weren't. And because of that little phrase, don't worry about it, 2,400 people died. You know, sometimes we, we say this when it comes to sin and theology. Well, don't worry about it. What's a little bit of compromise? I mean... I'm not perfect. I'm just a human being. I sin like everyone else. And if I have a little sin in my life, don't worry about it. Or if the church goes a little off in their doctrine and they're teaching things that really is not in the Bible, well, don't worry about it. It really doesn't matter. And see, when I hear the word compromise, when I think of relationships and marriage, that's a good word, by the way. That's not a bad word. I mean, you want to compromise. Um, we have to compromise. If we don't compromise, she would always get what she wants. I would always get what I want. We need a little bit of compromise there and to know how to do it. You need to compromise with your kids. You know, you want this, you want that. Well, let's compromise. Let's have a, a nice, healthy compromise. That's a good word when it comes to relationships. It's a horrible word when it comes to spirituality. Let me 
repeat myself. I'm telling you, Satan's on the run today, boy. It all started with this. I did. Oh, <laughs> well, just forget about the sermon. Let's just go home and uh... <laughs> think about this for a moment. A little bit of compromise in our spiritual lives, a little bit of bitterness. If you ever read the book of Hebrews, a little bit of bitterness, a root of bitterness can defile everything we are. Yes. Just a little bit. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when the church tolerated sin, a little bit of compromise, and Paul says, you're glorifying, you're not glorifying God. Your glory is no good. You need to get rid of that compromise in the church and handle it. Listen to what one person wrote here. This is interesting. Someone wrote, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will accept. What one generation accepts, the next generation will do what? Now, just in my lifetime, my 47, I know I look 27, 47 years of existence. When I was in college, in homosexuality, you hardly ever heard of it. It was tolerated. I mean, it was there. Believe me, it was there. But you hardly ever heard it. I remember in college they had Purple Day, where everyone would wear purple who, who supported homosexuality. And I remember that same thing. Uh, in our, and I wasn't in a Christian school. I was in a secular college. And I remember that same week, somebody wrote an article and said, we should have a day for everyone who loves blondes. <coughs> Mocking what was going on. If I love a blonde person, then you should have a day for that. If, why do I have to have a day for somebody that I like, my preference and that? We're not going to have a day like that. This was a secular school. Now, it's not only accepted, guess what? It's celebrated. It's celebrated. And so this is so important because the moment that we in our own lives tolerate something and then in our own lives accept something, soon we'll be celebrating that very thing that we hated. The moment that the church tolerates something, the moment that we accept something is the next thing we're going to be celebrating that very thing. Think about that for a moment. And he comes to this church at Pergamon, and I want you to look at verse 12 here, and it's to the angel of the church in Pergamon. And if, if you studied out the seven churches, you know that the church of Ephesus was like the, the New York City uh, back then, and Pergamon's like the Washington, D.C. I mean, these, these people were politically, they, 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 they loved their emperor, they worshipped their emperor. We're going to see uh, about this city, a description of the city. It was very intellectual. Ellie would love to live here. There was a huge library, over 200,000 volumes. You say, what's so big about that? They were all handwritten. You want to write 200,000 books? And then they didn't have enough paper to write, so they had to use animal skins to write on parchment. And guess what? We have some of our Bible on that as well, interesting enough. And so this is a very intellectual city. They were known for their huge library and everything, and a very religious city. See if you pick up which uh, God is spelt wrong there. 
Zeus, right? We had it a little bit. But um, there was temples, there was altars, there were shrines dedicated to Zeus, Athena, and you say the rest of those names there. But the goddess of fertility, the god, the god of healing, symbolized by a serpent. It just reminds me of going into one of these big cathedrals. If you've ever been into them in Lujan or in Rome, and you go and you see all these statues there of all these different gods or different saints and, and people. It was sad about this. People bow down to them, asking them to help them. I, I remember one guy told me, I don't want a God if my God is not strong enough to answer prayer, if he needs saints to do it. Oh, he got me with that. But here's a religious city, and they have all these temples and everything, and, and that's going on there. But notice what he says here to them. He says, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, Christ is not happy. Right off the bat, we know he's not happy. He's not saying, here's the one that comes with the word of God. Back then, the sword was there so that they can judge. The sword was there to show their authority. He's saying this, here I come, and I am going to discipline and show my authority over this church. How do you like that? It's kind of like a parent walking in with a belt. And the kid goes, what did I do? When a parent walks in with a belt, it's not to have a little talk and say, come here, honey, I want to just... What happens when they bring the belt? The belt means you're in what? Trouble. The Lord's coat. <laughs> You've never seen the belt, have you, Crystal? Or We won't go into any testimonies here. <laughs> the Lord's, yeah. You look so happy with the belt. I don't like it because of my dad. All right, we won't go in there, all right? Let's... Let's go on. The sword here, the sword. We don't want any personal testimonies with the belt here. But imagine the Lord coming with the sword and saying, here I am. I'm coming with the sword. He's not happy with the church. And so he talks about him and he says to him, I know where you dwell. And here's what's interesting about this. Notice the next thing here. I know where you dwell. You dwell where Satan's throne is. How would you like to be in a city where Satan's throne is? If I was to ask you today, where is Satan's throne today? Where would you say? New York. <laughs> this has gotten really bad, hasn't it? It did start with this. It really did. Where would you say? Where did the Raiders play? Where did the Raiders play? Can I hear it? We would say Las Vegas, wouldn't we? I mean, maybe Satan's there. I mean, this is Sin City, right? Sin City. You can't go to Las Vegas and, and go to Las Vegas and do all those things. Well, you can because what happens there stays there. Amen. No, but that's not... We would think of that. We would think of New York City. Some people would think of New Orleans, you know, with all the partying and everything that goes on. We could, we could name it. Back then, it was Pergamon. And it wasn't Sin City. It was Satan City. He dwelled there. His throne was there. Some people like to play around with why was his throne there. But really, the reason why is because, and we're going to see here in a moment, they, 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 they made a mistake. They were so political. They worshipped so much their emperor that Satan could place himself right in there. And, and, and what happens is they're living in a Satan city. Wow. And he, look what he says. Even though you're in this Satan city... You hold fast my name. 
You're not letting go of who I am. When, when people ask you, are you a Christian? You say you're a Christian. When people ask you who you believe in, you say, I believe in Jesus Christ. When you, you do not deny my name. In fact, look what he says here. You did not deny my faith. They had an opportunity to deny faith. There was opportunities for them to, to renounce what they believed, but they wouldn't do it. Wow. Even in Satan City. And even in the days of who? Say that name with me. Antipas. Now, that's a beautiful name for a kid, by the way. You know, Sarah's thinking about a child's name, Jeremina. She's probably not going to use. But you want to name your kid Antipas? You know what Antipas means in the Greek? It means against all odds. That's a beautiful name. Here is somebody we don't know much about, but against all odds stood for Christ. Against all odds, look at the three descriptions of him. He was a witness. He would share Jesus Christ. He's my faithful one. He's one that you could depend upon, that remained, remained dependable through it all and didn't go back on his word. And he is one that actually paid the ultimate cost against all odds. And look what he puts at the end of it, where Satan dwells. Here they are in Pergamon, all these statues, all this emperor worship, all these things are going on. And here is Antipas against all odds, holding on to Christ and losing his life. And even when that happened, the people continued to profess Jesus. Wouldn't you want to be a part of that church? I would. But he's got a few things against him. Notice this here in the passage. I have a few things against you. Here's the compromise there. There's some of you that hold the teaching of Balaam. Now, don't miss this. If you've ever studied the Old Testament in Numbers 22 to 25, Balaam was a prophet for hire because King Balak was worried about Israel. He feared him, so he told Balaam, I want you to curse Israel, curse Israel, curse Israel. So what he did is he went to go curse Israel and he opened up his mouth and what happened? He blessed Israel. He couldn't curse them. And then he tried it again, and he, he, he tried to curse, but he couldn't do it. He blessed them. And then he tried to do it a third time. And he said, you know what? I got to change. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to destroy a nation. You know how I'm going to do that? I'm going to encourage them to marry pagan women. And when they marry pagan women, they are going to go after pagan gods. Now listen to this. They intermarried with pagan women and they married pagan, they married these pagan women and all of a sudden they started going after these pagan gods. God was not happy. A lot of them died in this. And what, he's, what, what he did is he couldn't curse them. So what he did was he tried to corrupt them. Now let me say this. When a pastor or a preacher or a false teacher, whatever you want to call, what once cannot corrupt, what he would do is just put this kind of teaching in this little bit of compromise and tell people it's okay to compromise your walk. It's okay to sin. It's okay to believe these things that have nothing to do with the Bible. And he'll corrupt God's people. That's what he did. And they had some in that church that were allowing that kind of teaching. Something was going on, and look at this, not only that kind of teaching, it says here in 2 Peter 2.15, they forsake the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, but look what it says, who loved the wages of righteousness. He got paid, and because he got paid, he can tell people things that were contrary to God's word. Now, 
Not only that, the teaching of who? The Nicolaitans or Nicolai, or however you want to say that. And what these people, we really don't understand all what they taught, but what they, what some people believe that what they taught is that you can sin and there's no consequence. So here you have the teaching of Balaam where they're telling them, you can go to these pagan feasts, you can go and sin, don't worry. And you have the teaching of Nicolaitans saying, you can do that and there'll be no consequence. And all of a sudden, the church would become corrupt. Let me tell you what was going on in that church. Look at the next slide. Here's the problem with them. Hit it. This is what was going on. Patriotism was what? Crossed the line into idolatry. Let's be very careful with this because it's happening right here in our midst. Where instead of us defining ourselves as Christians first, we're defining ourselves as Americans first. And don't get me wrong, I love this country. I, I was on the mission field for nine years. I am back in this country. I love this country. I would get, I would, I would tear up and cry when we would go through customs and the guy would say to me when we got there, welcome home. I forgot we were gone. Welcome home. Those, those would bring tears to my eyes. I love this place. I love America. But here's what we're seeing. We're seeing that America is changing right before our eyes. And what happens is that people are, are making life about America and the gospel about America rather than the gospel about Jesus Christ. And, and, and pastors are teaching this. I mean, famous ones. Paul Tripp, I love him. He's changed my life in a lot of ways. But he goes to a church in Philadelphia. Anything good come out of Philadelphia? He goes to a church in Philadelphia. Listen to what his pastor, Eric Mason, wrote. Watch this. You can flip the slides here. Pastor Eric Mason, look what he wrote. He wrote a book called Woke Church. It's an urgent call for Christians in America to confront racism and injustice. And listen to what he says that Americans need to do. And watch out because you may be believing some of this stuff. He says Americans need to be aware that racism and injustice is not just a, a black or white issue. It's a kingdom issue. It's a gospel issue. He makes it. He says we need to be redemptive. We need to repent. And we need to say we're sorry. And listen to this. Sorry for being white. How, how do you sorry for something you can't control? And yet he's telling churches we need to start saying we're sorry for this. Instead of being sorry for things, hey, by the way, if we're ever going to confess something, we need to confess things that we've sinned and done wrong about not confessing things that we can. And then he says this, we need to be active. We need to set things straight. Because Christ is coming back, and listen to this, and Christ is coming back, and he's looking for a woke church. And people are drinking the Kool-Aid. And all of a sudden, instead of us preaching the gospel, 
We're, we're, we're sending people to hell by telling them, don't worry, it's not your fault that you're in the situation you're in. It's other people's fault. You're the victim here. You don't deserve all the things you're going to go through. You don't deserve not to have a house. You don't deserve not to have this. You don't deserve not to have that. In fact, we're going to take it from the ones that work hard and get that, and we're going to give it to you because you're the victim here. You're not the one who needs Jesus. Wow. You want to send someone to hell? You tell them they're a victim. And tell them not to take responsibility for their own lives. Because then if we don't have any sin, guess what? We don't need a savior. And yet, this is being preached. This is being taught. And people, and the people that don't buy this, they're in big trouble. When Drew Brees came out and said, no, I'm not going to bow down. I, I honor the people who died for my country. I honor the people who risked their lives. I am not going to bow down. He had to come back and repent from that statement. And he couldn't repent enough. And yet we're told as a church we need to repent. You know what we need to repent of as a church? We need to repent that we're buying into these systems. We need to repent of not preaching the true gospel. We, we need to repent of making it about a race rather than about sin and Jesus Christ. We need to repent by putting our loyalty first in a country rather than in Christ. We need to be repentant of that. He says, I want you to repent. You're, you're allowing this teaching, you're, you're buying it, and people are hearing these words and they're like, yeah, I'm against racism, it's wrong. I'm against injustice, it's wrong. I'm against all this stuff, it's wrong. Yeah, and then you buy it and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, I didn't mean to buy all that, and now we're living that. We need to repent because he is coming quickly and he's not looking for a woke church, he's looking for a biblical church. And what he is looking for, he says, I am going to make war against them with the sword of my mouth. I am going to make sure that the, your theology is right. You can't be compromising even a little bit. Amen. I look at this. I see where we're going. I listened to MacArthur. He actually said this is the most dangerous time he's ever seen for the church right now. There is denominations dividing over this. There are Christians fighting one another over this. And there are... Believers in this country preaching a gospel that is not in the Bible because they believe this stuff. We need to repent. We need to ask God, Lord, I'm not even going to tolerate this. I, I'm not going to accept it and I'm definitely not going to celebrate it. But you're going you're to offend people. Oh yeah, we're going to offend people because we love them. And we want them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, yes. And if they don't want to have a relationship with us, that's fine. But we want them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at this. Look at what it says in verse 17. This is beautiful here. I love this. This is a, this is a great. He goes, he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I'll give. And look at the three rewards here. Only Jesus can give this. No, no politician, no country, no one else can give Only Jesus can give this. He says, I am going to give you the hidden manna. Do you remember when it talked about in the Old Testament manna? What, what 
what kind of bread is that? I imagine it as garlic bread, Italian bread, amen. You know, that came down from heaven and it had a little garlic bread, you know, and it felt great. I mean, they, you know, it couldn't have been garlic bread because they wanted more if they had garlic bread. But this hidden manna that was satisfying, and Jesus looks at the people and says, I am the man, I am the bread of life. He says, to those who understand this, I will give them spiritual nourishment that only comes from my person. He says, I'll give them a white stone. Back then, a white stone was a stone that they used to, to enter into different events. He's saying, I am going to give you the stone that will able, enable you to enter into heaven. And it's only through Jesus. And then look at this. What's your name going to be in heaven? Do you know? Oh, no, you don't. You're going to have a new name. A new name written on a stone. Now, I've had a lot of names in my life. I was Jay growing up through high school. I was Guido in college. I kind of liked that one better than... I went back to Jeremy. Some call me other kinds of names I can't mention in the pulpit, but I have a lot of names. But a new name that only the Lord gives me? And who knows it? No one knows what is it going to be when we're in his presence when we receive it? A wonderful name. I'd like the name redeemed. Forgiven. I'd love to hold that for eternity. My son. Think of all the names. He's saying that no, no, nobody can ever give you that. No politician, no, no. But I can give you what the world cannot give you. But you have to come to Christ. You say, what's wrong with just a little bit of compromise, Jeremy? What's wrong with just a little bit of, don't worry about it. Here's what's wrong. There was a child that said to his mother, I love this illustration. Ma, I want to go and watch this movie. It has a little bit of stuff in it, but don't worry about it, Mom. I can handle it. She goes, okay, son, that's, that's fine. And she makes some cookies. You've heard this one. And she put a little bit of manure in the cookies. Don't worry, son. Just a little bit of manure. Eat and enjoy. Oh, wait a minute. Now it's not so good. When Satan tells you, don't worry about that sin in your life. Just tolerate it. Just accept it. Don't worry about it. And then you start celebrating. You say, wait, how did I get to that? Just a little bit. Don't worry about it. Or when, when we're on the radio, and I listen to preachers on the radio. I love listening to preachers on the radio. And I hear something. And then I hear some things. I'm like, what in the world? And we just listen away. We say, wow, that's sweet. What a great speaker. Oh, he's unbelievable. And a little bit of that stuff just comes into our lives. We tolerate it. We accept it. And soon we know we're celebrating it. So where did all this stuff come from? Well, look back in history. The church has tolerated it. Then the church has accepted it. And now we're told to celebrate it. So what steps can you take to protect yourself and your church from moral and theological compromise? So I'm going to I'm going to use I'm going to use these words right here. Be careful what you tolerate. Be careful what you accept. Because soon you will celebrate that. And we don't want to go down that path. The gospel saves lives from an eternal hell. Jesus died for our sins. 
He was buried and he rose again and all who call upon him are saved. We preach the gospel. We're not here just to feed people's bodies. We're here to feed their souls. We're not here to get sidetracked and make the gospel about something that it isn't. And when the Kool-Aid comes, and believe me, it's there, we say, no, the Bible says something else. We cannot tolerate that. And we look at them and say, because your soul is in danger. What steps can you take? Be careful what we're listening to. Be careful what we're tolerating. Be careful what we accept. Because soon we're going to be celebrating it. I can't believe one pastor one time in a pastor's fellowship said he, was, he, he lost his treasure, his deacon in the church. He left the church. Why? Because he was listening to Harold Camping. Remember him? Where Harold Camping said this, you know what? We're in the tribulation period. You need to leave your church and no longer go to church because we're in the tribulation period. And instead of sending your money to church, you know it's coming, send your money to who? Send it to me. So here's this guy in this great church with a pastor who loves the Lord listening to that other guy saying there's no longer, we're in the tribulation, you got to get out of your church. And what does he do? He leaves the church. It's all it takes. We keep listening, we keep hearing, we keep buying, we keep seeing the world do it, we keep seeing people who we love promote it, and all of a sudden we start doing it. God help us. Yes. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we live in a country and we're so thankful for this country. And sure we want change. But the way that we're doing it as churches now in America. We're missing it. We're going around and we're making it about race. And social injustice. Rather than about the gospel. We're indirectly telling people, don't worry about your sin. You're okay. You're a victim. Instead of telling them, yes, worry about your sin. We are in danger of hell if we don't accept Christ. Father, we're changing things right before our eyes. And when these mandates and different things come upon us, we're fighting for things, and, and, and sometimes in the right way, but sometimes in the wrong way, and we're making those things more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we need to repent. We need to look at our own lives and say, what am I living for? What am I tolerating? What am I accepting? And what am I, God help us, celebrating that doesn't please you? Father, we need you. So God, help us to be focused on what really matters in life. And when we see someone hungry, we help them. But we remember also that they need the gospel. And when we see racism going on in this world, we, 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 we don't want that. You work in our hearts. 
You're not a respecter of any person. So God help us not to be either. When we see things going on in this world and there's no justice going on, well, we want justice, but we want the gospel. So Father, help us to remember what really matters. Thank you so much for the world that we live in right now, Lord. What a wonderful opportunity we have. We thank you for what you're doing and continue to do. We praise you and love you. And God, we look forward to that day when we're in your presence. And we have that new name that only you can give. Thank you so much for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.